it seems very made up. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. By the 1880s, Native Americans in the Frio Canyon in the Texas Hill Country had almost been completely wiped out. The once prosperous Comanche, Kiowa, Tonkawa, and Lipin Apache that had called the area home for thousands of years had been forced onto reservations far from their ancestral lands or were massacred, driven off the land desired by Anglo settlers. Most of the area residents were convinced that the Indian Wars were over and the frontier was safe to inhabit without a fear of attack. But one last incident would come to be recognized as the final raid in Texas. This is the story of the McLaren Massacre. But first, what's your favorite Spanish place name in Texas? Well, I'll I'll just I'm gonna take an easy softball one. It's my home. There's a lot of people who've written songs about it. It's the pure and simple San Antonio. Well, I'm gonna go with the often mispronounced Mejia. Uh, but it is a great place to be no matter how you pronounce it. And I'm going to go with Lano Estacado. Um, I guess it's not really a place. It's more of a geological feature. But I just like the way those words flow together. Lano Estacado. Lano Estacado. It's fun. Say it at home. Lano Estacado. The McLaurin family, like many others, came to Texas looking for a fresh start. Duncan McLaurin was a Scotsman, bringing his wife and 11 children with him in 1788. They were farmers in the old country, and for the most part they remained that way. Until the Civil War, of course, which threw the entire nation into turmoil, and the McLaurin clan were not immune to its effects. They lost almost everything. John McLaurin Sr. and his family pulled together what they had left, and they hit the trail heading west. Eventually, in 1872, they found themselves a homestead in the Frio Canyon and built a house from the native limestone on Flat Creek, where it still stands today. The original site of the home was just south of the present-day Lakey, Texas, and was somewhat removed from a historical conflicts with the Comanche and Apache of the Frio Canyon. John McLaren Jr. wasn't happy with this location, though, so he decided to move north of Lakey. Now, since the raids from the natives had been scarce, he thought that it would be safe enough. He took his wife, Catherine, and their children, Mary, Maud, John, and William, and they made their home between a pair of towering bluffs along the west fork of the Frio River. In addition to his own children, John Jr. had taken in a 14-year-old orphan named Alan Lease. Alan's history had also been a tough one. His mother, Catherine, had died when she fell and hit her head after the birth of Alan's younger brother. His father, William Barney Lease, married Sarah Fulgham after his first wife's death. It was a marriage of convenience and a hard time. Sarah's first husband had been hung as a Union sympathizer during the Civil War, and she was desperate for support. William was desperate for help, too, as he not only had his own three boys, but the four children his first wife, Catherine, had brought into that marriage. William Barney was working for John Lakey in the shingle-making business. He'd carry the shingle south to Sabinal and Fort Inge, then return with the payment in gold. It was during one of these trips that he was ambushed by bandits and murdered. Sarah Fulham and her children and stepchildren moved in with her son Tom, whose own wife had died, and left him with five children of his own. Altogether, the blended, multi-generational family amounted to 11 children in total. 
So when the McLaurins needed the help of an able-bodied 14-year-old boy, it's no wonder that young Alan was eager to help. On the morning of April 18, 1881, John McLaurin headed south for an overnight trip to the Cherry Valley settlement by way of Lakey. Things were so peaceful that he hadn't thought twice about leaving his family unprotected in their fertile little valley. It's thought, however, that there had been a small band of Lapan Apache camped on the bluff overlooking the home for several days, and they were waiting for John to leave before they came down into the valley. Maybe they were opportunistic bandits looking to rob the house while it was undefended, or maybe they were warriors bent on revenge for some past wrongs. Whatever the case, the next day proved to be tragic and heartbreaking. That next morning, Alan, Kate McLaren, and three of her children went about their daily routine. The eldest McLaren daughter, Mary, was living with the Humphreys closer to town so that she could attend school. They milked the cow, fed the wild hogs, just enough to keep them interested and in the area, and hauled water from the river. It was wash day, so the chores included filling the wash tubs and heating the water. It would take most of the first half of the day to get the wash done. By midday, the wash was finished and laid out across the fences and bushes to dry, and Kate gathered up the children to work in the garden. The garden was away from the cabin, nearer to the river, where it was easy to irrigate. She laid her baby Frank on his quilt for an afternoon nap. As they tended the vegetables, the Lippin Apache made their move. They came down to the cabin, out of sight of the garden, and began looting through its contents. Apparently, they weren't intent on being too stealthy, however, because soon they made enough noise to wake the baby and get Kate's attention. She assumed that it was the hogs and that they had adventured into their yard or even the garden and started to root around. Alan was dispatched to check on them, but when he approached the cabin, he saw that it was Indians and turned back to warn Kate and the others. Unfortunately, he was spotted and shot. Alan was hit in the head and died. The shot spurred Kate into immediate action. She yelled for Maud and Alan she yelled for Maud and Alonzo to run and was gathering up baby Frank when she was shot by one of the Apaches. She was shot a second time as she tried to run. Maud and Alonzo escaped through the garden fence and Maud turned back to see her wounded mother trying to climb over the barrier with the baby. Maud was only six, but she ran back to take her little brother from her mother's arms. By this point, Kate had been shot five times, but she managed to get across the fence before she collapsed. Maud, the oldest child present, was Kate's only hope. She told her daughter she needed to find their nearest neighbors, the Fishers, to get help. Maud looked south, the direction of safety, then turned north and walked straight back to the cabin. She had gotten it into her head that her mother, lying shot and bleeding on the ground, would be more comfortable with the pillow. So she went into the cabin and retrieved one, placed it beneath her mother's head, and finally headed south for help. Maud left her brother Alonzo and baby Frank beside their mother, apparently no longer of interest to the Apaches who continued to loot the house. Soon Maud came upon George Fisher, who was, of all things, fishing along the river. She told him what happened, and Fisher, fearing that he wouldn't be able to handle the Apache on his own, carried her back to his house nearby to summon further assistance. He retrieved his rifle and continued moving south to gather a posse, heading towards Lakey about six miles away. They had just reached John Lakey's house and were about to head north, when they came upon John McLaurin on the road, headed home. While assuring him that Maud was safe, they related their awful news. Then all the men rode hard for the McLaurin homestead. When they arrived, the Apache were gone, but Kate McLaurin still clung to life. She asked for a drink of water, and her husband brought her some from the nearby river using his hat. A few minutes later, she finally succumbed to her injuries. 
The next day, Kate and Alan's bodies were loaded onto a wagon and driven into town. They were the first two people buried in the Lakey Floral Cemetery. The road to Lakey was lined with solemn onlookers, none of whom expected such tragedy in their community. Following the attack, the Apache were tracked for 70 miles before the men enlisted the help of soldiers at Fort Clark to finish the job. Soon it was obvious that the trail would take them into the Apache's camp in Mexico. They thought they would be safe there. The troops continued their pursuit, however. Eventually, they came upon that Apache camp, and the Indians were almost completely wiped out. Only one woman and a child survived, and they'd spend the rest of their lives on a reservation. Items recovered from the camp were later verified by John McLaren as things that had come from his home. This last chapter of the McLaren Massacre and of the Indian raids of the Texas frontier had been written. Now, most of what we know about this incident comes from the first-hand account of young Maud McLaurin herself, that brave young girl who, somehow, against all odds, had waltzed right past the attackers and brought her mother a pillow. Yeah, it's sad, and it's the, the whole idea of the, the girl going to get her mom a pillow and, you know, somehow not being attacked and um, surviving that whole incident makes this into a very compelling story that um, it seems very made up, but um, by all accounts, you know, this is as factual as it can get. Well, this was common life on the frontier for many, many years in, in Texas and all the way up uh, throughout the frontier of the United States. So uh, this is what people lived in fear of, and this did happen quite a bit. Um, it's interesting. This is a massacre that that did kill two people, and it is tragic that it happened. Um yeah. Yeah, and that was I, – I was looking into that, and I was like, is this really a massacre? I was like, did I read that wrong? Did I – you know, it's only two people that are killed, but um, I'm assuming it's just called that because of, you know, people were, were murdered. Um, usually you you would think a massacre involved many people, but um, yeah, so I didn't change the name. You know, that's, that's what it's referred to in everything, all the research that I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of – historiography behind the connotation of the massacre term uh, used in relation to attacks on on white homesteads uh, and that often quote unquote battles fought by the army or by the whites against the Indians were actually uh, massacres of women and children uh, in far larger numbers uh, in uh, their villages so well that's how the this story ends with they rode to the Apache camp and yes. they killed every yeah. single person so, save for two yeah. so in that sense the massacre can refer to the the right. ending of that story as well um it, it was interesting to me it was funny because um i was doing the research on this i had originally decided to do an episode on this because um i'd seen someone post a link to something on facebook it was like five things you didn't know about the frio canyon or something like that or five things you didn't know about lakey texas and um so I started researching this, and I kept seeing this name pop up. Uh, Linda Kirkpatrick probably wrote like three or four of the, the different things that I read online about this. I was like, why is that name so familiar? And I remember that a uh, friend, old family friend, uh, Pat Wazell, had given me this book, uh, Tales of the Frio Canyon, written by Linda Kirkpatrick. Mm. And uh, she is a Texas uh, um, historian and storyteller, and uh, it's, a, it's a great book of uh, – you know, all sorts of stories from the Frio Canyon, and uh, this is one of them. It's in there. And there's actually a longer, I guess, prelude and uh, 
lead up to this uh, story of the the incident at the McLaren Ranch um, that actually delves more into the history of uh, the Buffalo Soldiers and uh, an Indian scout in the area that uh, we could probably do another episode on in the future. But I just wanted to give a shout out to Pat and say thanks for passing that book on because it helped us uh, dig a little deeper into this. Regardless of how you term this incident, it is, like I said, indicative of just the bitter nature of the war that occurred between uh, whites and Native Americans along the frontier. And this is the last known example of this occurring in the state of Texas, but it is just as vicious and um, tragic as so many, many other incidents. And and again, what we were talking about, Sean, you mentioned that, you know, this was something that was common on the frontier, but like we, we let off with by the 1880s, this was very uncommon. And mm-hmm. uh, most people on the quote unquote frontier of Texas kind of thought that that was all over with. So it's a, a sad uh, epilogue to the, the long history of uh, Native American conflict in Texas, I guess. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I am Scotticus. If you like this show, and we know you do... Tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come and take it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. (laughs) 